It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Doing what we love to do. And let me tell you, I'm even more excited. And I have one of my favorite EB folks in the entire country rocking with us nice then let's officially welcome tracy parsons to crazy and the king tracy how are you i'm amazing but i'm super blushing now (laughs) tor knows how to put it on we'll come back to that what what i want to do is let let's let people know who you are (laughs) give them the you know 60 90 second version of your storied and colorful background You know, I've been doing employer brand recruitment marketing for about 20 years. Um, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and was really fortunate to be gifted an education from my grandmother. Um, But I have found a real passion and a real love for helping companies find A players and people to find their dream job. Like I, I dabbled in marketing. I have a journalism degree. But for me, I really do wake up every day trying to figure out how to make this whole dance way more palatable for people because it doesn't work. It's really broken. Um, so I've been in this game for 20 years. I've had the just blind ass luck to meet amazing people throughout my career and work with amazing customers. And um, I've owned my own consultancy, which I'm working at now. Uh, I did a sp- stint at Smashfly. I was at TNP for a number of years. But you know, my background is all about changing the way we communicate with people in the talent space. I haven't known Tracy for uh, a long time, but I literally enjoyed her presentation. I met and watched her in February of 2018 out at SRSC and just the the authentic delivery, uh, the funny moments, the serious moments. But what really got me and part of what I want to talk about today is she just really stressed in a way that that resonated with me. Don't fake it till you make it. Never Be honest, be genuine and let people know that I may not or we may not be where we'd like to be but we are trying to get there. Loved hearing her say that. And we've been trying to build this relationship and have been building it ever since. Couldn't agree more. I, Torin, it's so funny because that was that question that I was asked at that conference is the question that I'm asked most frequently. It's really interesting because when I talk about candidate experience, I usually touch on diversity and inclusion because that is critical if you want to build a growing company. And that is the question I most frequently ask. Well, what what kind of story do we tell if we don't have a story to tell? And I'm like, you don't you tell them you don't have a story to tell yet. Come help us build the story, right? So I mean, there's something compelling to the right people to say, hey, we're not there yet. But we know that this is in front of us and we know that this is valuable and important to our company, that we are inclusive, that we are diverse and not just gender and ethnicity, but in thought that you, the right people are going to be attracted to that. So do not fake it until you make it. Don't like, I think that, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, well, we have a stock photography. I'm like, okay, don't, Um, you know, put a picture of your leadership team in there and say, would you like to change the look and feel of this leadership team? We're looking to change it. Join us. So Tracy, I want to jump back to something that you said. You mentioned race and ethnicity and gender, but then you said thought diversity. Yeah. 
and I'm hearing it from a lot of DNI leaders, well, we need thought diversity. If if you have an actual diversity and inclusion that includes race, gender, ethnicity, LGBTQ, veterans, people with disabilities, all of it. Yes, neurodiverse, all of it. Then you're going to have thought diversity. So I feel like when we're hearing that in this space now, it's kind of a cop out from the white male leaders that, you know, well, I think differently than Joe Smith. So I'm diverse too. Our team has been talking about a lot lately is like how to kind of push past that conversation without pushing people away. But the but the the reality is, is I think a lot of people fall back to that conversation of fit and and then fit becomes homogeny. Right. Right. So for me, it is all of the things that you mentioned, you know, and I was listening to a couple of uh, podcasts ago from you guys about that neurodiversity. And I've got a friend of mine who's really passionate about this as well. I, there's so much more that we need to be doing. Like when you were, you were talking about the gentleman um, with, with um, Tourette's and all he really wanted was an extra accommodation of an extra break. And for me, it's everything like that, right? It's not Mm -hmm. just it's not just thought, and I'm using air quotes, but you can't see me. <laughs> um, but what I'm, I'm looking at diversity of thought as different backgrounds, different experiences, different ideas, and challenging the status quo, which is pretty much what I've built an entire career on, because the way we're doing a lot of these things today does not work. And we keep asking the same people the same questions and getting the same result. Hey, so Tracy, let me ask you, why Why, from an EB standpoint, is it not working? And, and let me expand on that. Is it not working because the message is not landing with the intended audience? Is it not working because the internal assets are not actively pursuing messaging that should land with that audience? Or is it something different? I'd love to learn from your perspective. Well, I think a lot of EB, I've, I've been doing a lot of conversations with um, and research with people who were not hired at specific companies. So a lot of my customers are working with me right now on talent experience design. And how do we design an experience that's not just um, really smooth and has the friction points in the right spaces, in the right places of this entire journey and experience? Um, But how do we make sure that we're being authentic and real about who we are? And I think, Torin, to be really honest with you, the big gap is that there's just not a lot of authenticity and realness in employer brand right now. And all of these conversations that I'm having with silver medalists is telling me the same thing. I see what you're saying on the career site, but it's not matching up with what you're saying after I apply. Or I see what you're saying in this area, but it's not what happened in the interview. Because all of these things we're using to attract people, but then we're not carrying that brand out throughout the entire life cycle. So, and then I have a whole problem with a lot of brands seem to be glossing over the not so great stuff about working there. And it's, you've got to tell the story because what happens when you tell a fraudulent story? I was, I was at a um, conference yesterday where I was telling my story of the perfect candidate experience. And I did, I had the perfect candidate experience, everything added up. And when I got there, I had a great onboarding, but I quit nine months later because the candidate experience and the employee experience did not line up. It was not the same. So we're selling a lot of people on a lot of things that aren't necessarily true. And that's why it's not working. So Tracy, what I'm hearing is that that the EB aspect, that responsibility, that role is both internal and external facing. Yeah. If you're going to tell your target audience something that is not true or is not actually lived by the people that they're going to interact with once they get there, it's not going to work. Hey, Julian, I don't think a lot of people, uh, and again, I, I don't want to be broad brushed, but 
I don't know if a lot of people receive EB one as being important and two as being an internal facing function of the organization. I believe most of the people, if you're in an organization large enough, I believe most of them, if they have an EB team, they see them as just an extension of marketing, all external. That that's what my belief is, Julie. You know, Tracy, that you're you're spot on because what EB ends up being is aspirational <laughs> and not actual. And when we work with companies, we say, tell us what are kind of the hidden rules of the road of your culture. Yes. And those aren't bad things. Are we a work hard play culture or is it 24 seven at the desk? You need to be available all the time because we want to find people that fit in that culture. And if we just bullshit them, then it is absolutely not going to work. And you're going to walk away disappointed. And these candidates and these employees are going to walk away with a negative impact to your brand. And it's, I think that employer brand is critical, but it can't be aspirational. It has to be real. Yeah. If you can't ground that EB message in reality, you lose every time, right? So Julie, I love what you just said, because what we tend to do is, is we, we want to put our best foot forward, which is why a lot of these things get super aspirational. But what we forget is the downstream impact of that. So when we're super aspirational and they get in and it's not what they expect, then we have really high turnover. And that doesn't work either. That's incredibly expensive. But in a lot of this research that I was doing, I found that the stronger that the mission is of the company, the more our audience will endure in the process. So I say this because I was working with with a children's hospital and there is nothing more like lovely than saving babies, right? I mean, it's just, you're saving babies for God's sakes. It's good stuff. Right. I mean, holy smokes, that's really fuzzy and lovely. And even if you're a software developer, I was, I was interviewing one of their software developers and he was like, you know, I had this other job in the high tech space, but when I found out that I was going to, one of the projects that I was going to be working on was developing a virtual infant's heart for surgeons to practice on, he was like, it was over for me. But this same company, the same organization with this beautiful mission has one of the most horrendous application experiences. And I'm working with them where they're in the process of changing it. So I'm not throwing them under the bus necessarily, but they knew this going in and they have conversion rates that are off the charts. So employer brand is incredibly important, but it has to be true and it has to be honest. And if it's not, then you lose. And I, I'm starting to believe in, in all of my years in doing this, that employer brand may have been born out of the idea of let's gloss over a really bad experience. Let's put a nice little veneer over our crap experience so that we can get people to at least participate in it. And then I was I was asking one of the OGs in the industry is like, oh yeah, that's totally what happened because somebody had a bunch of layoffs and they said, let's invest in employer brand. And when you're working with clients, and, and I can say for people with disabilities, for most diversity groups, the application experience is... It's a nightmare. Terrible. The candidate experience is terrible. It's built to exclude the very people that you're targeting with your diversity brand. Um, But what are we getting back to human at all in the candidate experience when you're talking to clients? Are we still working from such a place of fear and risk mitigation in in applications and and that process from HR and compliance and all that, that we're still really stuck in technology only? environment. Yeah, I, I I fear that we might be a little stuck, Julie, to be really transparent. Like I and it's so what makes me so sad about all of this is that 
HR knows it's broken. Compliance knows it's broken. The job seeker audience knows it's broken. Like everybody knows that's broken, but nobody feels that they have the the fortitude or um, rights. Like they don't they don't feel they have the ownership to make these changes. Mm-hmm. And yesterday, when I was talking to this group of TA leaders, I was like, I just need you guys to know that you in this room have absolute authority to change this. Like I told my seven year old when he was a little when when he was seven, he's twelve now, but when he was seven, I said, Oh, and the secret of life is deciding. And as soon as you decide, then you have to commit. And I always share that with my customers because it is as simple as making the decision. One of my customers, um, Molly Weaver at Children's Mercy, they allow you to just basically record a video as an application, right? Click pay, play, record. And they ended up getting, um, you know, obviously pushback from compliance, but they got it through. (laughs) And after doing this experiment, they saw a massive increase in diversity um, because people were able to just tell their story. I think that's a really interesting point too, is that with all the technology that's coming up through the stacks and everything, we have to start as, as compliance, which is not the fun, sexy thing to talk about in EB, but EB, TA and compliance have to start talking to each other. And we have to start thinking about how we can integrate chatbots, videos, more engaging, better experience ways to gauge a candidate's fit for your company and not get bumped by the feds, not get hurt in an audit because you've thought through what data do we need to capture and how do we keep it equitable as you go through these processes? Because those are the kind of technologies that start to bring some of the humanity back into the experience, but compliance is just freaking out. And I'm presenting at the National Industry Liaison Group Conference in August, and I was looking at the the agenda and they are not even starting to think about AI or candidate experience or even machine learning. And that piece is going to break eventually because no one's thinking about it in a proactive way. I agree. Tell me, Tracy, you know, sticking with Julie's uh, point, you know, around people with disabilities, as you are building personas, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm speaking historically, not going forward. But in the past, have you received much pushback from employers when you began the process of building personas around people with disabilities? Or or has that not necessarily, and again, I know this is anecdotal, or has that not necessarily been part and parcel with the engagements that you've been experienced with? Well, personas for me are really challenging when it comes to diversity and inclusion because it's a generalization, right? The the definition of a persona is a generalized sketch of this this person. Um, and, okay. and I struggle with this all the time because generalizing a population is really dangerous. A recipe for failure, right? Yeah. And so when we when we go into these engagements with customers and there is a persona um, exercise, I try to help them get really specific. Like what what kind of person are you looking for? And if you are like we've, you know, I've done female software engineers, I've done African American customer success. Like we've done these different personas. Um, but it it feels it feels awkward. Um, because it is that sketch. It is that understanding and that generalization. Um, but it's a generalization, right? And we are, people are individual. People are rich. People are, you know, they're so much more than a sketch. Um, but there's still an important component of understanding how someone makes decisions, but you can't use them in a dangerous way. And that's one of the things I always caution, um, customers against, you know, like this is not. Yeah set in stone. You have to use this with flexible thinking. So what else in doing in, in doing what it is that you do, not a what else, but name one more thing that 
that happens to be a bit dangerous, a bit of a landmine uh, for either practitioners out there that are listening for people inside of businesses that do not have EB teams? You know, what's another landmine or dangerous consideration that you see prevalent that we probably need to mitigate or remove from the workplace? I might be answering this in a different angle, Torin. So pull me back if you need to. Like I, I mentioned it earlier, for me, it's we are not training people on how to execute any kind of messaging internally. So it's, you know, again, we're, we're throwing stuff out on our website, but are we training recruiters? Are we training hiring managers? Are we training people how to talk to all different kinds of candidates to understand their background and experience, right? So we're not, we're not doing enough in my mind's eye to take that employer brand and then make sure that it gets into the hands of people that need to use that type of messaging platform with the people that they interact with. And then I also think there's this whole landmine around, we, we don't really do anything with people who already work for us. It's always about finding new. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. We don't want to save the people we have. We want to just start fresh all the time. And that drives me insane. Yep. Right? Because mm-hmm. I'm sitting in there. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know about the two of you, but there have been a number of times in my professional career that if somebody would have been paying attention, I could have easily been saved well before I even opened up Indeed or Google. Yep. And I know that happens to everybody. Like, And everybody always asks me, like, what about passive candidates? I was like, I don't talk about passive candidates because I think they're like the Kardashians. I think they're famous for no reason. <laughs> and I, I tell them, I said, you want to look at your disengaged population to prevent prevent them from searching for their next job. You want to look at, because everybody's open. I mean, for God's sakes, LinkedIn will tell you 90% of people are open to a new job and two thirds of people are disengaged in their current job, right? So the world is open and out there and not thrilled with what they have, but they're perfectly comfortable with their crappy status quo because the experience we've created, I think Jibe had a stat a couple of years ago that 20% of people would rather wait in line at the DMV all day than apply for a job. Basically what we're talking about today over and over is that if you suck internally and your internal culture is, your, is broken, your internal leadership development processes are broken, then EB is not going to be a Band-Aid fix, which I think a lot of companies, like you said, Tracy, kind of expect it to be because it glosses over the things that need to happen. So how do you advise companies to start change management? Mm-hmm. Is it is it a chicken and an egg thing? Do they happen kind of internal and external at the same time? Or is there really a, an internal process that has to happen first that puts off some of that external branding work? Yeah. And I think, Julie, you could, I couldn't have said it better myself. There is not a shade of lipstick that's going to make that pig look good. <laughs> um, I, you have to start inside first. And every company, even if it, even if you and I would perceive it as a crappy culture, that culture works for somebody, right? And define that and own it. Like I always tell people, like you have to start inside first. You have to understand who you are and what makes you tick. You have to understand what your aspiration is, but then you have to, this is where everybody falls on it. And maybe Torin, this is another uh, big landmine and it goes to what we were talking about earlier. Nobody ever goes and talks to the external audience to understand the perceptions of the company. Um, And the companies that do all three of those, that aspiration, that reality, and that perception, the external perception, those companies where those three things intersect is where you get the truest, most authentic brand. Mm -hmm. 
but they oftentimes skip that external audience conversation, which is one of the reasons why I've been talking to all these silver medalists for my customers to understand what was the perception of the brand? What did you think of this experience? What? And then they always say, I don't think it was an experience. I think it was more of a process. <laughs> I was like, yeah, painful process. you're right. It's totally a process. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's one of the things like helping, helping customers see and helping brands see that, you know, who you are internally is the, is the building block. What you aspire to be goes alongside that, but you cannot decide that those two are all the components that you need to build a messaging framework. You have to understand what the external perception is of you in order for you to really ground those internal things because then you're just navel gazing. So Tracy, tell us uh, two things. Uh, I want you to speak to the audience as if they are all inside of organizations with less than 500 people. There is no EB team. There may be some folks that are doing marketing, but let's pretend like our audience are all in smaller organizations. First two things that they need to do. First thing they need to do is understand who they are. So talk to, talk to the teams, right? Go get your leaders, but then talk to your line workers as well. Understand who they are, right? It's the same exercise the marketing team is going to do about their customers. They're going to understand what the product is. And in this case, the product is the company and the jobs. And then they're going to understand what that expert internal perception is. So, and then the easiest thing I tell all small, small companies, large companies, all of this is very expensive, when you think about it in that way, it does not have to be expensive. Um, if you can have conversations internally and understand and identify, you know, those commonalities, those common factors inside your culture, what makes people tick and what's going to make us tick better, which is where we need to get to. Then I always tell people that your, your easiest, most broadest reach media channel are the people that work for you. So start using them, develop some test messages, have those test messages distributed by your employees and see what gets engaged with. That's going to help you test that external perception without having to pay for a big pile of money of focus groups. Julie? Well, I think that is a perfect note to wrap up on. Um, Tracy, tell our audience where they can find you, uh, website, social, that kind of good stuff. Awesome. So my website is www.parsonssc.com. Dot com. That's Parsons, then an extra S and a C.com. And my Twitter handle is at T Parsons. And uh, you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Twitter, or on my website. That is awesome. Thank you so much for your time. We'll put all of Tracy's contact information in our show notes. Uh, Torn, you have anything to take us home on? Absolutely. And so again, we promised when we started these pods in January that we would do everything that we could to to be organic, to be authentic, and to to be as real time as we possibly could. And what Julie and I decided to do was we wanted to increase the delivery of content. We wanted to bring you different voices, ambitious voices, capable voices. And so I do want you to follow Tracy on Twitter, visit her website, find out what it is that she can do to assist you and your team in moving the business forward. Continue to subscribe to Crazy and the King on Podbean, uh, crazyandtheking.com. Join us on Facebook. Make sure you tune in to SiriusXM Channel 126 this Sunday. Who knows who I'm going to be chatting with? It's going to be a riveting conversation as always. And last but not least, I will be at that same SRSC conference where I met Tracy uh, back in February. They are going to Philadelphia 
August 6th through the 8th, uh, Philadelphia SRSC. And guess what? Your boy is going to be the MC, and you better understand that the room is going to be full tilt the moment we put our hands on the mic. Julie? All right. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Ghost. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy and the King. I'm Julie Sowash with my co-host, Torin Ellis. Follow us on social media, but you can also now find Crazy and the King on Facebook at our website, crazyandtheking.com, or follow our hashtag like you have been. This episode was produced by me, Julie Sowash. Our music is by the amazing DJ Cells straight out of Baltimore. And if you like our podcast, please rate it and share it with a friend. See ya. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.